0: What is the ultimate triumph for you? What is the one triumph that makes you so proud and grateful for yourself? Among all the triumphs, I believe the triumph of love is the greatest of all because our God is love. We've been studying Life of David for last two years. And last summer we studied first series on David, King in the Wilderness, and this summer, we are now concluding the second part, second series, the King's Triumph, and uh, this is the last triumph story of David in Second Samuel, and it is my favorite story in David. Yes, there are a lot of well-known stories of David, but this is my favorite story about David, and uh, I'm not the only one. The Alan Redpath, a great. Last generation, a Bible teacher in his uh, classic on David's life, uh, making of a man after God, man of God, he said this: "This is the pinnacle of a David's life. In this story that we are about to read, we see the high points of a David's life, and this is his greatest hour. So, with that, now let's turn to Second Samuel chapter nine, and let's find out." David's ultimate triumph that inspires all of us. Second Samuel chapter nine, verse one. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king asked, said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. King asked, Is there no, no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is a lame in both feet. Where is he? King asked. Ziba answered, He, he is at the house of uh, Machir, son of uh, Emiel, in Lodiba. So King David had him brought from Lodiba from the house of Mekhiah, son of Emil. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth's grandson of your master will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate the David's table like one of king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Aziva's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Context of today's story is right after David achieved great security, prosperity, and good order in his kingdom, if you look at the preceding passage, chapter 8, verse 15 and 18, you will see the list of leaders in David's kingdom. So, chapter 8, 15, David reigned over all Israel, doing what was a just and a right for all his people. Joab, son of Zeruiah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was a recorder. Zadok, son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, were the priests. Sarariah was a secretary. Benaniah, son of Jehoiada was over the Kerite and the Pelethite. And David's sons were priests. The reason the writers of 2 Samuel gave us the list of names of David's leaders was because very soon there will be another unlikely person added to that list. That person is a Mephibosheth the disabled son of Jonathan, a cripple became a member of the inner circle of the crown. The key word today is a kindness, and Hebrew word for kindness is a cassette. And the English Bible translate cassette into a loving kindness, steadfast love, even goodness and mercy. We'll just call it Kindness. And I titled today's sermon, Kindred of a Kindness, because here we see several people connected by kindness. And as their relationship was created by kindness, I pray that our relationship with one another and others, especially VIPs that God placed in our lives, would be also marked by kindness. You know, Frederick Buchaner, a Christian writer, once said this, if you want to be holy, be kind. If you want to be holy, be kind. Let us be a kind people of a kind God, especially in this pandemic and also very deeply divided country. So for outline, let me give you three words for you to reflect, remember and reflect. Affection, affliction, and adoption, okay? Affection, affliction, and adoption. That's the three kind of uh, words that we'll uh, analyze this story. Today's story begins with a David's question in verse one, is there anyone still left of a house of us all? When our current king searches for survivor of a last monarchy or dynasty, it usually means extinction or extermination. But David searches for survivor of a soul's family because he said he wants to extend kindness for Jonathan's sake. So question is uh, what kind of uh, uh who uh the what did it David mean by Jonathan's sake? David was not the first one who started kindness here. Actually, David was the first one who received kindness from Jonathan. So what kind, of, what kind of kindness did Jonathan show to David? If you look at the first Samuel chapter 18, first and three and four, that's the first time David and Jonathan met, right after David killed the Goliath. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved David as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his uh, tunic and even, even his sword and his uh, bow and his belt. The reason the writer said even is that if you look at the first Samuel chapter 13, verse two, Israelites were living in bronze age, whereas the Philistines were living in the iron age. So Philistine has a much better weapon technology. And the whole Israel, only two people, have an iron sword that was a Saul and his son Jonathan, the crown prince. And so when today Jonathan gave his armor and weapon to, to David was more than goodwill gesture. This is a significant act of a sacrificial love. Jonathan was almost telling David, David, you are more valuable than I. Your life is more precious than mine. You know, people say the real person who's supposed to be jealous of a David's success and popularity should be not the soul, but Jonathan, because is Jonathan, supposed to be next king. But this next king respects and loves David so much that he's already abdicating his throne. Because, again, Jonathan loved God. He wants God's people to be in good hands. You know, Jonathan is kind of people like that. He doesn't care what kind, you know, how much credit he gets from other people, as long as work of God is done. Hallelujah. You know, when we when we become like a people like a Jonathan, I bet God's community and God's kingdom will move stronger and better than ever. And later, when David became a refuge, or actually fugitive, under the souls, you know, this uh, you know, this violent, ruthless, you know, pursuit. Jonathan saves David several times. At the end, they made a covenant. That is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 14 and 15. Jonathan asked David, Show me unfailing kindness, the hesed, like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of us, David's enemy from the face of the earth. Jonathan said, told David the refuge or fugitive, David, you will not be a fugitive for long. You will be sovereign king of Israel. When you become a king, please remember my family for the kindness that our, our good friendship. Here, the first observation and lesson today is this. Kindness survives. Kindness survives. Jonathan was gone, but his kindness was not gone. It's still fresh in David's heart. And that's the beauty of a true friendship. Memory of a kind Jonathan gave David lasting, surviving affections, affections that made him today search for survivor in Jonathan and Saul's family. By the way, in verse 3 today, David called his kindness God's kindness because David knew he didn't invent the kindness. It was God. Kindness belongs to God. And he experienced God's kindness through Jonathan. Now he is Recycling their kindness to other people. Reciprocating their kindness. That is the you know, beauty of a kind friendship. Uh, there was a, a billionaire, a philanthropist named uh, Paul Turo Jones. He's a founder of a Turo Investment Corporation. He's actually one of the top 15 most successful hedge fund you know, founders and managers in, in our time. And when he was, uh, uh, actually, he's, uh, 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 I mean, when he was the, uh, early 30, 1986, Jones, Paul Turo Jones, Jones adopted a sixth grade class at the, uh, at the underperforming public school in New York City. And uh, he promised them they everyone who graduate from high school will get a full ride for college. Full ride. Unfortunately, only one-third of those sixth graders graduate from you know high school and the beneficiary of this great scholarship. But Paul Jones, he was not a uh, you know, just uh, benign. He he's really uh, Tough like a nail, kind of a serious man, and actually back in college, he was a a, a welter, welter light boxing champion at his university, University of Virginia. So he actually poured the the mind and heart and resources into you know improving this predominantly underclass. I mean, under you know underperforming. Local, uh, social, socioeconomically, you know, challenged, you know, uh, public school in inner city in New York City. And according, and then so he started the Robin Hood Foundation. And since its inception in 1988, Robin Hood Foundation gave $1.45 billion to help all these students and the inner cities. And Fortune magazine called the Robinhood Foundation one of the most innovative, influential, philanthropic organizations of our time. But what inspired Paul Jones to do this was actually a small incident that happened to him when he was four years old. He said this, when you are four years old, your mother is everything. And, this, and then one day, he went to an auto vegetable market with his mother and he got lost. And he completely under distress and confusion and total, you know, fear. And all of a sudden, there was this extraordinarily kind, very tall, very old, African American gentleman came over to him and said, Don't worry, we are going to find your mama. Don't cry, we are going to find her. You're going to be happy in a minute. He calmed him, he found his mother eventually, and that left a lasting reflection in Paul Jones' heart. And that's why he said, I'm all I do is triggered by that one small incident. You know, Blaise Pascal once said, the kind words do not cost much, yet they accomplish much. Isn't that true? Kind words are so easy, but its fruits and benefits are so much bigger. You know, kindness survives and searches another opportunity of a kindness. So question that I have for all of us, who is your Jonathan? You know, who is your Jonathan? Who showed you the lasting kindness? I want to tell you this. Our Jonathan is, or Jonathan is, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gave his life so that we can have his life. So in that sense, you and I are ultimate David. We experience a divine kindness, chesed, from the kindness of a son of God. Amen? The second point. Now, let's find out the surviving member of a soul's family, the, the survive, you know, son, of John, son of Jonathan. Okay. So, Ziva said, he's, uh, you know, there is a lame named Mephibosheth. Okay, uh, first time we heard the Mephibosheth was actually not this uh, uh, 2 Samuel chapter nine, but 2 Samuel chapter four. So it said that uh, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was a lame in both feet. He was five years old. When the news about Saul and Jonathan came to Zazareel, his nurse picked him up and fled. And as she hurried to leave, he, uh he fell and became a disabled. And his name was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth has a double tragedy. First, his grandfather and father fell in the battle against the Philistines. And second, that means uh, you know, that uh, the, whoever you know, will come to the capital will wipe out the rest of the remaining royal family. So nurse, soon as she heard that uh, you know, tragedy, she tried to flee but i accidentally fumbled dropping matthew bowles to the hard floor that matthew bowles fell and became paralyzed so imagine matthew bowles you know one day his, his future was utterly destroyed socially financially even physically you know, interesting thing about Matthew Boches is that, according to First Chronicle eight thirty four, his original name was a Mary Baal. Mary Baal Mary Paul means the words of God. Baal is not just a you know name of the idols, but also it's a common term for God in the ancient um, Palestine. So that name, Mary Baal, it was actually. It's a very royal name because only prince can have such a name. They're saying that your words in the future will be weighty like the words of God. So you will be the Mary Paul, the words or authority of God. That's your name. But after this fall, this uh, double tragedy, Mary Paul's name was changed to Mephibosheth. What is Mephibosheth? Mouth of shame. Mouth of shame. He has nothing else to say. You are cursed and shameful. And today, he lives in a place called the Low DiVa. You know, in Hebrew language, anytime you hear the Hebrew word with a, start with a L-O, that means no. It's L-O negate. So son of Hosea was a law on God, you know that means not my people Lo, means no and diva means a word or description so law diva simply means place where there's no word to describe it simply means nowhere nowhere and if you look at the map law diva was the east of Jordan River. Do you see uh, Jerusalem on the bottom and Lodiba all the way top? It's a desolate place. It's a far away from all the actions and main cities of Israel. Actually, this was later when King David fled from rebellion his son Absalom and regrouped himself. And not only that, Mephibosheth was in the house of uh, Makir, the son of Ammiel. Em- That means he doesn't have his own house. He was living under somebody else's roof. So gathering together, his life means, out of nowhere, he was nobody, shameful, hiding. Mephibosheth is a picture of affliction. Somebody who is living in shame and fear, until today, they be called him. And when David sent his, uh, you know, David uh, uh, sent people for him, I can imagine, you know, uh, when David's soldiers knock on the door, Mephibosheth probably had uh, almost a heart attack that, uh, oh my goodness, I'm done. I'm doomed. I'm discovered. That's why when he came to King David, he prostrated before king, and the first word came out of king David was, "Do not fear or do not be afraid." Why? I bet Mephibosheth thought the typical end of a surviving royal family is a death. So I'll be done. But David said, "Do not afraid. I will show you kindness for your father's sake." So second point today is a David's kindness saves Mephibosheth, redeems the affliction of this most, most pathetic person. And then Mephibosheth's response in verse 8 said this. He bowed down again and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? What is your servant? You know, throughout the Second uh, uh, Samuel, we've been hearing people's response to grace, right? And usually they say, David, especially David said, "Who am I, Lord? That you bless me so much? What is my family that you promised the eternal dynasty, dynasty for my fam- You know, f- for us, you will save the humankind through my descendant. Who are we? What is a human being that you care about us so much? So." You know, who am I? That is the usual response to grace. Today, Mephibosheth says the same thing: "Who am I? I'm nothing but cripple. Why do you care about me this much?" And he called himself that dog. We have a lot of uh, dog owners here, right? You know, some people can even stand the living dogs. Can you imagine that dog? Especially Jewish context, dog is the, uh, the most, you know, you know, they don't like, you know, it's not a puppy we're talking about. It is a very scavenging street dog. On top of it is a dead dog. You know, Mephibosheth, his life of a fear and poverty made him think he was a, just a worthless. It's just, his worth is like that dog. But today, with David's kindness, saving kindness, guess what happened? Matthew Bosch's affliction of shame and fear was melted and gone. A Scottish Christian named Henry Drummond once said this Greatest thing a man can do for his Heavenly Father is to be kind to some of his children. And Mephibosheth, uh, he was touched by David. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mark Twain said, Kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. I want to add to that statement this. Kindness make cripple to stand in his heart, in his spirit. Is no longer defeated grateful. He is a delighted and grateful and blessed cripple. You know, kindness is a miracle. We should not recognize, you know, kindness is a truly miracle. Kindness can do more miracle than any power we can imagine. And these days, once again, in this time of, of frustration during this pandemic. And this, you know, broken world, I think kindness is more valuable than any other time. So think about your own kindness, the power that you have through kindness. You can really, really touch anybody who who is struggling in frustration and shame and whatever anxiety. Now let me see the. Let me show you the final conclusion of the story. David said, verse nine, that uh, I have given uh, David summoned the Ziva and said to him that I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family, and you and your sons and your servants supposed to you know take care of him, serve him. And then Mephibosheth grandson of your master will always eat my table. You know, David not only gave a stop to Mephibosheth, but gave a special relations relationship to him. David literally adopted Mephibosheth as one of his sons. Three times in this passage, verse you know, uh, 10 to 13, said the uh, Mephibosheth at the David's table or king's table as his son, one of his sons. David adopted Mephibosheth into his family. You know, kindness ultimately shares its blessings with others. And the last verse of today's story is incredible. It said, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always at the king's table. This is a counter cultural testimony about. God's kindness that saves us. You know the fact that is no longer hiding in the fear of the current king, but this is a descendant of a previous king, now are living his living openly among people of God. This is a great picture of a gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Mephibosheth was no longer shameful of him because David welcomed him and embraced him. David brought him as one of his sons. And every single day, he ate at the David's palace. And the last word was, he was lame in both feet. Once again, that's a reminder Matthew was well received by David, not on his merit, but in David's mercy and kindness. So, reason I love this story. Some of you heard me saying this, but uh, you know, you know. Let me repeat. This is my, you know, uh, my indulgence today. The daily, you know, there's Mephibosheth eating a daily dinner table at the King David's palace. For me, is the, uh, the ultimate picture of my future and your future. So imagine, David has uh, many sons. The firstborn is a guy named Amnon, uh, M- crown prince. I bet he has all the royal, you know, pride, you know, preppiness, all the, you know, whatever, you know. These, you know, uh, styles, gestures, mannerism. And then David also has a son named Absalom, the most handsome guy we find in the Bible. You know, the Bible said that he has such a beautiful hair that his hair lock was sold so expensively. You know, he can, he, he can be a model for the shampoo company today. But, you know, imagine in dinner table, Amnon is, you know, sitting right next to the father, you know, as a crown prince and Absalom, you know, coming with, you know, once in a while he's just just doing this in the dinner table. And there is, you know, Solomon the bookworm, you know, rushing from the library, library with a box and oh, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. I was, you know, I was reading, you know, I didn't know it was already dinner time. And when everybody sat in the dinner table, there comes Mephibosheth, the cripple, limping limping, very slowly. And King David looked at the Mephibosheth with a big smile. Mephibosheth, come, join us. No, one, we, will not, we will not touch the foot until you sit with us. Welcome, son. How was your day? Every single day, that was Mephibosheth's experience. You know, when I imagine this table, uh, dinner table, it reminds me of my future at the, the king of kings' table, our Lord Jesus' table. Because the Bible said, Jesus told his disciples that, you also will eat and dine with me at the end. And so at the ultimate, you know, kingdom of God, the eschatological you know, age, imagine all the Jesus and his disciples and apostles, Peter the Rock, John the Beloved Disciple, you know, and all, and then, and then you know, oh, I cannot miss it, you know, Apostle Paul that I'm 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 named after, sitting there, and not only that, great Church Fathers, you know, Athanasius, Augustine, you know, dumb ox called uh, Thomas Aquinas the big giant guy, and then my kind of theologian, the foul mouth, Martin Luther, the son of a German miner, you know, and then my hero, colbert and Bonhepper. And then I come. And they say, hey, Paul, I came. Come and sit with us. We've been waiting for you. I don't know about you. This is a preview of my future and your future and our future. God graciously invited us and opened the door for us to have an eternal banquet with him. Just one last thing about Matthew Boschus is that we see Matthew Boschus one more time later in the 2 Samuel 19 when David went to Uh, fled from Absalom's rebellion and returned to Jerusalem, Mephibosheth came and welcomed him. And Bible said he had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day the king returned. And Mephibosheth, he stayed loyal to David to the end. Let me close today's sermon with a quote from one commentator about Mephiboshes. His name is David Guzek, and let me read his commentary on Mephiboshes. David's grace to Mephiboshes is a wonderful picture of God's grace to us. We are Mephiboshes. We are hiding poor, weak, lame, and fearful before our king comes to us. We separated ourselves from king because we didn't know him or his love for us. Our king sought us out before we saw him. The king's kindness is extended to us for the sake of a covenant in his heart. The king returned to us more than what we lost in hiding from him. We have a privilege of a provision at the king's table. We are received as sons and daughters at the king's table with access to king and fellowship with him. The king's honor does not immediately take away all our weakness and lameness, but gives us favor and standing that overcomes its stings and changes the way we think about ourselves. Hallelujah. Just as Mephibosheth joins the David's table, Jesus gave us His dinner invitation called Lord's Supper. So today we'll close with the Lord's Supper in the worship.